Welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I'm your host, Greg Ballard, and I have Sheree Chalapa here as our guest. I hope I said that last name properly, Sheree. I'll give you a second to correct it. Um, but Sheree is the president and co-founder of Engagely, a people and strategy software platform that redefines performance appraisals by simplifying and incorporating elements of employee engagement and development into performance into the performance review process. Uh, Sheree, really glad to have you here on the show today. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit further? Oh, thanks, Craig. Um, I think you gave me a good good introduction. You know, the only thing I would add to that is that's my professional bio, and I I also have other avocations on the side. So, you know, I run a, a music recording studio. Uh, I've also run a film production company on the side, and I haven't really done a lot of that because this startup has taken up a lot of my time in the last few years. Uh, so there are a few films I've done in the past that have gone on to Netflix and uh, Prime and the likes of those. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, to just to add a little bit of color to uh, oh, love it. my uh, my background. Yeah. What would I find on Prime that you've done? <clears throat> There's, uh, I've done about seven films. And the one that, the latest one that I did right when I was starting Engagely and I, uh, in 2015, it released in 2016, it's called Bad Grandmas, not the name I picked, my distributor picked that name. Um, but Bad Grandmas is a funny, uh, dark humor film that uh, uh, with uh, Florence Henderson, that was her last film before she passed away. And she was the uh-huh. Brady mom from the Brady Bunch, if you guys know her. Uh-huh. Uh, and Pam Greer, who was this, who was an icon in the black exploitation films in the seventies and eighties. Um, so those are two big names in that film, and they were um, they did a phenomenal job, and it's a it's a fun movie to watch. Love it, love it. I have to bad grandmothers. I've heard of bad moms. I I, I think I've seen bad moms, but I haven't seen bad grandmoms yet. Um, I'll yeah, have to send yeah. it to 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 our Mima. Um, she'll get a kick out of it. <laughs> So fantastic! Yeah. So music yeah, no, and film—that's uh, that's really interesting, uh, and we'll have to explore that at some point too. What I wanted to do—we uh, we had a little conversation before we got started here, and you guys are in the people and strategy space. Um, we do work in the people and strategy space, and there's so many things going on in the market today, um, and with the changes going on, you know, market is changing so rapidly, and how, you know, organizations, how are they staying adaptive? How are they staying agile and resilient? And one of the key pieces is kind of knowing where you're going. Maybe we could, like, I'd love to have a conversation with you about mission and setting the kind of the, the vision um, and in how you guys are approaching that, maybe some of the things you guys are working through. What have you come across? You know, I think what has happened is that we came up with a mission and mission a few years ago, and then COVID changed things a little bit. You know, for example, our originally, if you look at the word engagedly, it was about focusing on driving employee engagement. Mm-hmm. And so our mission or vision, whatever you want to call that, uh, was really about providing employees fulfillment at work, right? 
I think that is still holds true. Uh, however, we have added the component of building high performance workplaces. So it's not only just mm -hmm. about having fulfilled, fulfilled workers, but also organizations that have better performance, better engagement, better retention overall as a result of that. So a little pivot on that, but not necessarily a big change from where we were. Um, you, I could even argue that um, improving performance output actually do, it, it, it improves engagement. You know, when you have highly competent people, right, they want to know that their time and energy and effort is actually making a difference. And so if they're in an organization where performance is not strong, um, they're probably going to be looking to either get some changes made or find a place that has that performance. So I could almost you know, argue that you're still actually doing the same thing. You're just adding another component to drive it. Yes, that's 100% correct. 100% correct. Because you can have fulfilled workers, essentially, but may not have high-performance workplace because maybe people just love coming to work because they have friends at work and they work for a few hours and then take smoke breaks and coffee breaks and whatnot and go for two hour lunches, you know, you can have that too. Um, and that's how a lot of organizations, um, and not to pick on anybody, but a lot of organizations uh, like the governmental or non-governmental sector might have to some extent, right? Uh, <clears throat> because profit is not their motive. Growth is also not necessarily their motive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on, a, on a far profit, you know, profit and growth is their motive. So you kind of have to align the two in, in, the, in the private sector. Yeah, so one of the things we're seeing, I'm curious what trends you're noticing, but one of the things we've, we've seen specifically with COVID really advancing the, um, you know, asynchronous communication, uh, global teams rather than, you know, not just regional, but global, uh, remote workforces, uh, work teams that are distributed across multiple time zones, uh, different jurisdictions, what are you seeing and, and how are people creating alignment in that, in this atmosphere? You know, actually uh, that has become a big wedge between companies who have done a good job at process and the companies who have not done a good job at process. When you are working in a single room or a single office space, you can get away without having great processes. You can, you can like, Hey, I need to get this done. I'll just walk over to this cube and get and tap on the shoulder and get that done. And things keep, moving but underneath lurks a shark which is called process inefficiency because you're constantly doing that right but that shark gets exposed to the surface when you go distributor because you can't do that you know people are in meetings you can't just be like hey pick on the you know pick up the phone and talk to somebody because you've been on the phone all day long so the companies that are done really well is the companies who already had a process and they figured out how to uh, digitize their process, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it is, uh, the one a great example is goal setting, right? You could have goals on a whiteboard and that can, you can erase it and change it and then change the goal, like walk over to somebody and do that. But in a, in a distributed world, you need to have better alignment to those goals. And you also need to have a little bit more transparency on those goals so that when, the per when you're not around, the person can see what the goals are and make sure that their work is is moving that ball forward. So systems and processes become even more important uh, because when you're not there, the systems and processes will carry you through. So systems and processes, yeah, absolutely, the day-to-day -day operations. So I think that's a very critical thing and having a platform or you know some tools that support 
you know, being able to follow those processes and, and maintain them, right? Be able to distribute them around is critical, which is where you guys step in with Engagedly. I wanted to yeah. maybe maybe shift that conversation to a little bit more of a strategic level and ask, you know, how are you, how, what are you seeing or is there, are you seeing struggle? Because we, we see some struggle with, with the clients that we work with in, in getting folks aligned kind of on the goal right? You know, it's one thing, once you've got a process identified, you know, you can execute and there's some accountability there because it's already been articulated. But when that process hasn't been set, when the objective is, is moving as the market moves, how are you seeing people respond to keeping up with the market when it comes to, you know, vision and mission and, and kind of setting out what your purpose is? Because sometimes in many organizations, the last couple of years, they've had to reassess their own purpose. Yes, yes, absolutely true. And the agility has become even more important than ever before. In fact, it's, it's, it's almost necessary for survival because we are going through this undulations you know, in the market, in the labor market. You know, we had this situation in 2020 where people were laying off people in droves, people were whining about you know, not, not having a paycheck and the government came and stepped in and helped out. There's a bunch of money thrown at the problem. And suddenly you have a labor shortage. Now in 2021, in 2022, we are seeing, you know, the, I was reading a report, 30,000 people in the tech sector have, have, have been let go in, so far um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the hopes or what do you want to call it, a recession, recession, right? Even though, I don't know if there's a recession or not, but everybody seems, seems to be hoping for one. Uh, so <laughs> so that's, uh, that's what I'm seeing, right? So you have to be agile to be able to move quickly, right? So the old ways of working is not going to work, which is you come up with a long-term plan and then you clarify it, clarify it, clarify it. But the thing is, by the time you're done clarifying it, the plan has changed. So you got to re-clarify it. So it becomes even more important to have extreme clarity. Even if it is short-term, have an extreme clarity and we'll be able to communicate that clarity across the organization. Now also is distributed and across time zones. And you have you know, stragglers where one person is working in Montana, another person is working in Hawaii, another person is working in you know, Czech Republic. They could be all over the world uh, because companies have realized that if they go distributed, why not go distributed across the world? What's the, what is the harm in, in doing that? Because they can do labor arbitrage and they can also get more work done in a 24-hour cycle. So the clarity of purpose, which you know, could be called as vision, mission, is extremely important and being able to articulate that clearly and then also go to the second level and third level of that. What does that really mean in terms of strategy? What does that really mean in terms of execution processes? What does that really mean in terms of measurement of your of the execution of those processes? How do you know you've been successful in that, right? Mm. To go down to those levels. Because I, I see a lot of leaders, uh, and I'm not saying uh, all leaders, right? A lot of leaders are really good at leadership and set the vision, but if they don't do the second level, third level, it's left up to interpretation of the individual below you. Some people are really good at interpreting that. That's where some of the good managers and in, you know people who are really good at execution do that. And some people don't know what that really means. And how is it supposed to mean? You know, if your vision is to be, uh, let's say Southwest vision is to be a low cost provider, right? For every individual, you have to attach it that to the next level. What does that actually mean in terms of your logistics, in terms of your planes, in terms of your staff, in terms of your cities you'll serve and the hubs you'll serve and all of that and the distances you'll fly. You have to go down to the next level. Otherwise, two airline companies can have the same vision and one will be successful and one won't be. And it'll all come down to their leadership and the people below them 
translating that into specifics, which includes systems, processes, and data. Yeah, so we would look at this and call that, that that's your corporate strategy study. You know, what is the corporate strategic plan? Um, and in the way we would approach it is like, hey, what's the future picture? What's the vision? Where do you want to go? Um, and if you're in more of a, if you're in more an organization that is uh, really uh, looking at benefit, right? How are you providing benefit? We might say, what's your purpose? So mission, vision, purpose, they, 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 they are different things. Um, and for different organizations, you may want to put one out front above the other. Uh, but you need that, you need that guiding, guiding light because that's how decisions get made, right? And once you know what that is, then you can design that. What's your strategic plan? Oh, in our approach, uh, and Sri, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Is is you need to know the market and you need to know your competitive advantage. What makes you unique? What is the key thing that you bring to the table that nobody else in the market has? And what's funny is, a lot of folks say, "Yeah, that's we have a competitive advantage." Well, then did you take? Did you review your operations? And have you optimized everything you do to exploit your competitive advantage? Because you can have a competitive advantage, but if it just sits there on the shelf, you're not getting everything out of it. You need to actually change all right. your processes around and, and so that you can exploit that competitive advantage. And when you do that, uh, things like best practices start getting, start forming. Hey, we have a best practice and that best practice is designed around your competitive advantage in your market for your strategy. And then a competitor will come along and try to copy that best practice. So I'm, I'm going off on a little side rant because I talk about the uh, best practices and how they often get, get um, copied and used in an in, in in inefficient way. Right. But I want right. to come back to this idea of, let me come back to this and get your thoughts on you know, this when you have that purpose, that vision, that clarity, and this idea of competitive advantage, and how do you exploit it? You want to speak to that briefly? Yeah, so that's, to me, you know, having, first of all, things can, when you're, it's in the fog of war, right? You're, you're in this battlefield with the competition, changing market, especially in our case, it's a crowded market as well. You can get lost. And you're winning deals, sometimes you don't know why you're winning. You're losing deals, sometimes you don't know why you're winning, why you're losing. And it sometimes becomes hard to know what your competitive advantage is. And maybe it has changed over time, right? It can change over time as well. Uh, it, may, it may get smaller because somebody else has copied that and made it better or had a better marketing around it. Or somebody may have vacated that field and now you have a bigger field. So... To me, it can be changing over time. So that the, the agility, coming back to the question of agility, becomes important because that has to be constantly be monitored, and and you have to constantly be able to adjust to that, but have extreme clarity on that and being able to communicate that very clearly to everybody in, in the organization. So you know, one of the competitive advantages we have is we are not a single point solution. We are not just performance review. You know, we offer. Uh, a suite to drive better employee engagement and better organizational performance. So what does that mean? You know, you have performance suite, you have the learning and development suite, and you have the engagement suite. We're looking at all aspects of the employee, the management, uh, and the organization overall to align everybody so that everybody gets what they need to be more successful, right? And that's, uh, to us, is a competitive advantage. 
Now, a lot of companies have tried to copy that. Uh, I think it still remains competitive, competitive advantage, but it's only a competitive advantage in certain scenarios, right? If you already have two or three of these components or one, maybe one of these components through another product or through another provider, then it's no longer a competitive advantage. So for a mm -hmm. given ICP in a given market, it's a competitive advantage. And that, those are the things when I talk about the second level, third level, because if you start just taking that at the face value at the manager level or the employee level, you can go wrong very quickly. So that articulation of the second level, third level becomes extremely important. Yes. Connect. So it's what we call connecting the strategy to behavior is one of the expressions that we yeah. use. Um, you can have a big picture goal, right? But if you can't bring that down and anchor it into actual meaningful behavior that somebody can go and execute, you're going to create confusion. Right. People are not going to know right. exactly what to do. And they're not going to know what steps to take to actually do uh, to accomplish that that vision, that strategic plan that you have. Exactly. So for our listeners, um, I just want to kind of take a, a, a pause a bit here and and shift the conversation a little bit to from the strategic side over to the individual side. And. Uh, Shri, we talked a little bit before we came on here, and you dropped a, a word, one of my a favorite word of mine, uh, ikigai. And you guys, you've been doing some research and some work on this. Why don't you introduce this word to our listeners and and some of the work you've been doing? Sure. So ikigai is a Japanese concept uh, originated in the island of Okinawa. Um, it came out of the research. Uh, I forgot the name of the researchers who did. Uh, research on where people live the longest. And there are seven blue zones they identified across the world. And there's one of them is in California, incidentally. Um, but the other one, uh, one of them they identified was in Okinawa, where people lived uh, consistently over 90 years old. Many of them were centurions. Um, and he, uh, actually it was two of them. So they basically uh, realized that one of the things that helped them was this concept of uh, ikigai in that uh, community where they had a meaning and a purpose, which made them wake up in the morning and look mm -hmm. forward to the day, right? They gave mm -hmm. them meaning and purpose to that day. So they actually were not just sitting, watching TV and eating, you know, bonbons and, and you know, dying early because they were working the fields, so they're working the garden, they would go and meet up for tea and had this community and they felt like they had this culture of community and some kind of a purpose in, in life. So what I... Um, so anyway, that's the word ikigai. And obviously well, my book is about how do you translate that to the workplace? Because in the modern world, if you will, uh, workplace, we spend more of our, mo most of our waking, waking and conscious, I would say, because not just awake, but you're actually functioning hours at work for the most part, you know, at mm -hmm. least the people who are working there. And you actually might spend more time at work than you do with your family and, and uh, with your, even with your kids. And that's, you know, uh, take it for what it's worth, but that's, that's a reality. So why I'd not make far, that? I want to interrupt. I would go far, as far as to say some people um, have embraced their work as their purpose and they make that the center yeah. of their life. And well, they, you know, many people care very deeply about their family, uh, but family and, you know, time with family is actually done around work. Uh, rather than work supporting family, it's it's something it's a different mindset for some people, and and so this idea of purpose I think is very relevant. Yes, absolutely, and even 
even for the people who don't, who make family the priority where they are looking forward to that Friday afternoon to get out of work, or they're looking at the clock to hit 5, 5 p.m. so they can bolt, you're still spending that time. It doesn't matter. You're still spending that time. Yes. How can I make, how can you make that time more meaningful and purposeful? And that's where the Ikigai concept comes in. At least my version of the Ikigai concept comes in mm-hmm. is aligning three Venn diagram circles, right? The first circle is the, uh, what makes me, uh, what makes me enjoy uh, my work? Like what mm-hmm. are the things I really enjoy at work? The second is what am I really good at? The third circle is what adds value to the organization. That's the organizational goal and organizational objective, whether it's, you know, profits or whatever. So when you're looking at, and this is actually even engaged release platform is really, you know, is is tuned towards that in some some ways, is you're looking to find people in the roles where ideally they enjoy that work, at least to the extent they're spending the time on on that. they actually are good at it or getting good at it, or they continue to grow into that role or grow into that skill set. They're constantly improving and they're uh, good at it. And that work is meaningful to the organization because it moves the ball forward, right? So for example, I'll give you an example. So if you have an, a person who's really good at research, right? They're really good at it. But you as a company realize that, hey, if I put this person in front of my customers, I can showcase my my know-how and my thought leadership, but the person hates customer calls, right? So now you have a mismatch in that sense. You're, the person says, I just want to research. You guys figure out how to market this, you know, train somebody else to present this. I don't want to sit with customers and do these calls. So that's that's an example of where you can mm-hmm. have a mismatch. So you might say, this is a great person for this role where I can put them and I can, I can ship them on a plane every week to a, a, a Fortune 500 company and I'll impress them and I'll get the next big deal and whatnot. Great, it works on paper, but in reality, that's a mismatch on, on, on the purpose. And that person will probably quit and try to join an academic institution and take a pay cut, you know? And that's where I'm, what I'm talking about. So yes. the managers and the leadership have to be aware of that alignment uh, across them. And that's where the Ikigai concept can be played into the workforce. Yeah. So if this is reminding me, um, I don't know, Shri, I don't know if you have young children. I, we have four young children and we came across this movie. I had no, I, I had never seen it. You know, uh, it's from Disney, it's the Tinkerbell, right? And, and we've always known Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, but we never knew her backstory. And so this movie begins to explore her backstory. And quick synopsis is, you know, she's born out of the first um, laughter of a newborn baby and then she is, she has to go, she, 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 she kind of wakes up and then she, there's all these gifts around in a circle and she, and the gift actually chooses her. And so she turns out to be a tinker, somebody that tinkers and works with things, but she sees all these other, you know, fairies that have elemental powers of the wind and fire and water and all these, and she's jealous. She's, she's jealous that she can't do what others do and so she kind of she she ends up having animosity towards her own skill and then the, you know as it turns out she turns out to be one of the she has the gift in such large quantities in a very specific area like she can tinker with man-made things rather than natural things and so she ends up fixing a bunch of stuff and in the end obviously she starts to realize this is who she is but there's this bit of an identity crisis. 
And I see mm-hmm. this a lot. I see this a lot in the workforce is people have a talent or a really natural ability in one area, but they have classified that thing as less than yes. another thing. Yes. Yes. And sales is a classic we, example, right? Yeah. People people just look down on sales uh, because they're like, oh, sales, I don't want to go sales. I'm I'm better than that. And that's that's a very classic one that I come across a lot, to be honest. Yeah. And so for our listeners, hey, you may be, you know, you may be really gifted or talented in a specific area. And I would say explore that. Exploit it. Because if you run in your gifting, you're going to be head and shoulders above everybody else. But if you're trying to if you're trying to turn a weakness into a strength, it's going to take a significant amount more effort, energy, and time, and you're not going to get that full result as to taking a strength and investing in it and developing it and honing it. It's going to feel like water flowing downhill as opposed to trying to push a strength. Um, yes. And so 100%. when you talked about this icky guy, this, this, I was listening in this, this movie, which we just watched as a family, uh, came up and, and um, so – Go check out Tinkerbell by Disney. It's, it's a fun classic. I may have seen it, but I may have, may or may not have fallen asleep halfway through. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Shri, before we round out, I wanted to ask, is there anything you are doing specifically in your own day-to-day tasks to stay adaptive as an executive, to stay on the cutting edge of things that are changing, uh, to, to be keeping up, to, to being agile and resilient at the same time? Agile part is that ultimately the market is always right. You know, you can you can think you're right, but the market will tell you if you're right or not. So what I do is talk to people like you. Um, I talk to a lot of people uh, in different areas. You know, yesterday I had a call with a AI startup founder who's building this uh, really cool app that can do a psychological mapping of you into the app so that it starts behaving like you. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So anyway, gave me some ideas and thoughts on what I could do. It's going to be, I don't know if it becomes like the movie Her, where it, it develops its own personality, but but it can help you with maybe some self-awareness potentially. And that's his goal, is to build self-awareness during that app. So anyways, I, talk, I, I learn a lot from other people and I try to understand how that might be valuable for our company, for my own growth, um, and where the market is moving as well. Now, resilience really is about knowing, I think resilience comes down to confidence, to be honest, right? I think to be resilient, you need to, you need to feel comfortable failing that because you have confidence that you can surface from, resurface from that failure. So I think resilient individual or the organization needs to be comfortable with taking risks because they know they can recover from that. They need to have the confidence that they can recover from that. And, I, and obviously, confidence has to be balanced with reality. You know, you can't be mm-hmm. so confident that you make poor judgment and take un, undue risks. So I think resilience really comes from that. And I think that uh, I do think about that. You know, I always think about what is the worst that can happen by taking this shot? And can I live with that? And the answer, if the answer is yes, then make, you know, make the shot. Because if you don't, you, you know, if you don't, you know, hit you can never hit, uh, if you don't step on the plate, you can never hit a home run, right? You have to mm-hmm. step on the plate and take that mm-hmm. risk. And, and, and the confidence, uh, I think, is, is a necessary ingredient for being resilient. 
I love it. Um, you, you, your first point about, hey, you talk to a lot of people, you listen to the market. And hey, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work by Theodore Lovett, uh, Marketing Myopia. Have you come across that? I have not heard about it. No. It's a small little no. pamphlet, but the concept is this, is that most industries fail to recognize the market they're in and the demands of the market. So it, this was written a long time ago. So it talks a lot about the railroad industry. And in that time, the railroad industry was it. It was everything and it will never fail. Um, and well, what ended up happening is railroads became, you know, they, 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 they moved into the background. Um, airlines started taking, taking over, trucking started taking over. And those railroad companies failed to recognize that they're in the transportation business. And they, right. they were convinced and they stayed in the railroad business. And so the principle that Theodore is, uh, love it, is trying to, is, is we need to listen to the market because the market is the, is, is the buyer. And we need to be um, ready to disrupt our own selves. Yes. And, and most organizations, most industries don't want to disrupt themselves. And so I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Listening to, listening to people, listening to the market is one of the key ways to stay ahead of, of, of the ball, ahead of the curve, to know what is necessary. Um, so fantastic. Uh, you know, I think we could probably continue talking for hours. We, we've had a couple conversations already, and so I'm really glad you came here on our show. Uh, before we wrap up, um, if folks wanted to find you or learn more about you or Engagely, where would they go? How should they connect with you? Yeah, so uh, the, our company, Engagedly, is the software, and it's engagedly.com. So they can uh, obviously go there and learn more about what we do. And also, we have a lot of thought leadership uh, papers and blogs that they can read as well. We are, uh, for, for me, the best place is LinkedIn. That's where I live uh, a lot. So, you know, follow me on LinkedIn or um, DM me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to uh, chat with them as well. Uh, and I also have a, a, my own podcast, which I just launched six weeks ago. Uh, people strategy leaders uh, it's also available on spotify and wherever else the podcasts are available excellent excellent well uh shri thank you for joining us today uh really enjoyed the conversation and uh we'll have to have you back again sometime soon absolutely thanks a lot greg it's been a pleasure Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.